Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Center for Media Evangelization in Ewing, New Jersey, welcome to Come to Me with Jim Manfredonia. Stay tuned for an hour of talk, reflections, and meditations on topics that are important to today's Catholics. And now, here is your host, Jim Manfredonia. Well, a very good day to you, my friends. Welcome once again to Come To Me. My name is Jim Manfredonia. As always, great joy to be here with you on this January something or other. I don't even know what day it is. Let's see what my little device says here. It doesn't really say. I think it's the 18th of January. <laughs> no, it is the 18th of January. Happy you are here, my brothers and sisters. Happy you are here. And uh, Tuesday, starting our time together again, uh, already into the second half of the month. <laughs> ah, that's all right, though. I think uh, days are shortened in the last days. So hopefully we're getting close <laughs> and get out of here. Uh, but today it is uh, our, uh, it's Tuesday, and we're going to uh, share. I want, I want to talk about family today. Um, I wasn't aware of this, but apparently uh, in the uh, year 2025, so just three years from now, uh, we're going to have a jubilee year, and they're going to open the holy doors uh, in Rome, and uh, it's the first ordinary jubilee since uh, the year 2000. You remember that with our Holy Father John Paul. Pope Francis had a jubilee of mercy in 2015, but that was an extraordinary Jubilee. So this uh, coming 2025, three years from now, uh, there's going to be a jubilee, an ordinary jubilee, where uh, we can receive plenary indulgences under usual conditions. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about that uh, quickly, to share with you on uh, information there, and uh, a little bit of the Holy Father's Angelus message uh, from Sunday uh, on uh, the uh, wedding feast at Cana. And then when we come back from break, second half of the program, you know, back in 1981, so tw- actually now it's 20, it's, it's 40, 41 years ago, because it is 2022 already, our dear Holy Father, St. Pope John Paul II, released a wonderful uh, apostolic exhortation on the family, Familialis Consortio. And um, it's one of the first documents I read from John Paul, a very powerful exhortation on the family. And I think today, especially my brothers and sisters, you know, as I say so often, and you know, uh, Saint, or rather Sister Lucia, one of the seers at Fatima, indicated uh, back in the late 1940s to uh, either her spiritual director or a, a priest or monsignor, uh, she said the final battle uh, will be over the family and marriage. And uh, we see a lot of division in our world today and and a lot of division and fracturing in the family. And the devil loves that. You know, as our church teaches us, the family is the basic cell of society. St. Pope John Paul II said, as the family goes, so goes society. And so I want to share with you 40-year-old words, but very contemporary, from St. John Paul II on family. Uh, So we'll get to that. First, we're going to pray. 
As always, my friends, I invite you to join me in prayer. Uh, we certainly have a wonderful family that gathers with us each day at this time and uh, on the podcasts and on the rebroadcasts and on our YouTube channel. We're coming to you right now, youtube.com slash domesticchurchmedia, and also uh, uh, on our Facebook page now we're putting the video. Um, so we're reaching a very wide audience. And as we come together at the top of the program each time we do gather, um, you know, we, we know there's such great power in the prayers of the faithful. So I invite you to join me. We're praying the, the prayer of consecration, consecrating our families to the Holy Family of Nazareth. But included in this prayer are all your intentions, whatever they might, may be. And uh, my prayer is for family unity. You know, um, sadly, the, you know, the, the, the division that's been caused by uh, the pandemic, the vax versus the unvaxxed and all that stuff, uh, it even occurs, yes, even in the, the strongest of families. So we have to pray because the devil is, uh, my goodness, he's just elated at all the division in our families, in our church, in our country. He is the father of division. Uh, the word diabolical means to divide. That's, that's, he just loves it. So we have to fight that. And you know, a very wise and holy priest told me recently, we need to fight it with love and prayer. You know, I mean, we can't allow ourselves to be sucked into the division can't allow ourselves to be pulled down into the muck and mire of one side or the other, but rather do battle with it with prayer and love. So let's pray this beautiful prayer of consecration to the Holy Family, remembering all of your intentions. And as I said, I'm so happy that we're uh, still even receiving prayer requests from you. Uh, we love getting them, and I'll have some news with, for you uh, from our good friend Bruce uh, Debaca, we spoke with him yesterday, but let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord Jesus, you lived in the home of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. There you grew in age, wisdom, and grace as you were prepared to fulfill your mission as our Redeemer. We entrust our family to you. O Blessed Mary, you are the mother of our Savior. At Nazareth, you cared for Jesus and nurtured him in the peace and joy of your home. We entrust our family to you. O St. Joseph, you provided a secure and loving home for Jesus and Mary and gave us a model of fatherhood while showing us the dignity of work. We entrust our family to you. Holy Family, we consecrate ourselves and our family to you. May we be completely united in a love that is lasting, faithful, and open to the gift of new life. Help us to grow in virtue, to forgive one another from our hearts, and to live in peace all our days. Keep us strong in faith, persevering in prayer, diligent in our work, and generous toward those in need. May our home, O Holy Family, truly become a domestic church where we reflect your example in our daily life. Amen. And our prayers to St. Michael and Our Lady, as Holy Father asks us to pray with the specific intention to protect the church from the attacks of the devil. And we've added to that to protect our homes, our families, and our country from the attacks of the devil. And so we pray, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. 
May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. And we pray, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Pray for us. Venerable Archbishop Sheen, pray for us. Saint Pope John Paul II, pray for us. Our Lady of Good Remedy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, again, my friends, thank you so much for uh, praying together as we start our day together, our time together. And uh, as I said, I, Cheryl and I, we spoke with Bruce and Linda yesterday by phone. Uh, as you know, if you listen to this program, they, they did move to upstate New York uh, in the Rochester, New York area, where right now he said they have about 15 inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, when, when we found out in the fall uh, that Bruce was moving, I said, well, we're not going to let you get away that easy. How about we give you some remote equipment to use and you can do your program, Come to the Throne, from home, from your our, I guess our domestic church media satellite studio in upstate New York. And uh, Bruce was excited about that because he loves doing that program. He loves praying with you and for you live over the air for all of your intentions. So we're almost there. Uh, I told Bruce, let's not start until you're settled and you get everything, you know, you know, moving is a big, as you know, most of us know, is a big chore. We, most of us move at least once or twice in the course of our lives. And it's a major, major event. And in addition, you know, when they moved up there in mid-November, uh, it was the beginning of the winter season, and uh, they do get a lot of snow up there. But there were other issues that they had to work with along the way in the move. And anyway, so we're hopefully getting very, very close to uh, bringing Bruce back on with Come to the Throne, um, with you know that will work with his schedule and our schedule here. So, but he is looking forward to praying with you, praying for you. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get that moving and, and get that going pretty soon. So, um, you know, there, I'm, I'm going to say probably it's going to be uh, beginning in March. Uh, that's my gut feeling right now because, you know, uh, we take a little, Cheryl and I take a little time off in February, our winter break. Uh, so we don't want to start before that, but um, because I do have to engineer the program from here, even though Bruce is doing live from Rochester. We have a very, very skeletal staff here, staff here so, <laughs> you know, pretty much doing everything. But Anyway, just keep that in prayer. Let's keep praying with and for each other. Thank you all for your continued support, as I've been sharing with you, you know, this month. Uh, we, we did meet our goal in December of raising at least $50,000. You, by your enormous generosity, helped us attain that goal, and uh in doing so, it really did allow us to uh, end the year on a very, very um, good note, fiscally speaking, a breaking even, and gave us a little cushion now for these next three months. But it has to remain a cushion, and it can't be the sole means of support. So we still need you to do what you always do for us in January, February, March. And then, of course, in the first week in April, April 6th, 7th, and 8th, I believe are the dates, uh, we will have our Spring Radiothon, which is our major and largest and biggest uh, fundraiser of the year. 
that hopefully takes us through uh, the rest of the year from that point out. So anyway, um, you know, this is how we, this is how we operate, my friends. Uh, you know, we're not a commercial station. We don't uh, sell ad time. You know, we don't have that type of a budget. Uh, we're very frugal here with whatever we have to use uh, for the needs that we have, our financial needs, our operational needs, electricity, you know, and that type of thing, insurance and, and running the, the four stations and operating probably on about a $25,000 a month budget, um, which is very, very small considering we're operating four radio stations, <laughs> a major apostolate like this. Um, but it all comes from you. Uh, it all comes from you. We don't get it anywhere else. You know, we don't receive any any financial support from EWTN. We don't receive any financial support from any of the diocese that we serve. It comes from you, our family of listeners. So please continue to support us. I know times, you know, with the economy the way it is and the uncertainty, but we have to trust in the Lord and know that when you support this work, you are supporting the Lord's work. And that will not go uh, unnoticed by God, of course. He cannot be outdone in generosity, and uh, the Lord promises us that as we do uh, use what we've been given uh, to support works such as this apostolate, that it will be returned to you tenfold. Uh, and, and you know that. We believe that. And not only that, you know, there, there will be souls in heaven. I know. There will be souls in heaven waiting for you uh, to come to you as you enter through those wonderful, magnificent, glorious gates, thanking you. And you're going to wonder, what, what, what for? And they're going to say, well, you supported domestic church media. And it's through those broadcasts that I would listen to that I had a conversion, that I had a reversion. I came back to the church. I got to know Jesus. I, I became a Catholic. And it's because of you and through the work of Almighty God that you were able to do this. So let's not forget that. In these days, when there is a lot of sad, sadly, and sad to say, a lot of desperation. You know, people are very, people are angry. Uh, people are without hope. Uh, people are, are anxious. Um, they're, we, you know, shared the surveys with you last week, some of the surveys about people and the, 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 the decline in uh, um, having a, a faith. People, you know, so many people out there consider themselves nuns, N-O-N-E-S, have no religion, no no um, faith-based um, organization they're a part of. Um, so, and as I said earlier, the, the devil's having a heyday. He's having a heyday. And we have to do battle here. We are in a spiritual battle. Uh, I know that, and I, we feel it. Let me tell you, I, I've never felt in my, in my work, in the time that I've been doing this, and I've been doing this a long time, over 26 years, I don't believe I have ever felt the presence of evil uh, trying to distract us and trying to break us. Trust me, I can't get into any details, but I can tell you that. I have never, ever felt it this strong where the, this the, the 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 prince of darkness has worked his way into the heart in many ways and is trying to break us trying to break he won't can't but it's not easy so we have to keep keep forging ahead in love 
in prayer. And that's what I hope we are for you. I hope that this apostolate is a haven of hope for you, a beacon of, of light that, that guides you into the safe harbor of the heart of Jesus. That's what I want this to be. That's why I always say, you know, we're not here to tear down. We're here to build up. We're not called to be tearing down. We are here to build up the kingdom of God on earth. And that happens, as that good priest told me, with prayer and love. And that's what I want this apostolate to be. So thank you for allowing us. It's because of your prayers and your support that we're allowed to do what we're doing. And I pray that we can do it for many years as the Lord allows. Now, let's do this. Let's go to uh, Holy Father. Well, first I'll say that I was sharing with you earlier. Um, in uh, the year 2025, just three years from now, wasn't oh, that one was year? What was the year? Twenty five, twenty five. Was that a hit back in the sixties? The year twenty five, twenty five. No, this is the year twenty twenty five. Just three years from now, we're going to have in our church the first ordinary jubilee year since John Paul II led the great jubilee year of two thousand. Now you might say, well, there was a jubilee of mercy in twenty fifteen, but that was an extraordinary jubilee year. Uh, there's an Archbishop, uh, Fisicella, who is leading the Vatican Dicastery entrusted with the events organization, the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of the New Evangelization, saying there's so much work to be done. In 2025, uh, the Jubilee will include the opening of the Holy Door in St. Peter's Basilica. Pilgrims will pass through the door, which is only opened during Jubilee years, ordinarily every 25 years or when a Pope calls for an extraordinary Jubilee and receive a plenary indulgence under the usual conditions. The four major basilicas in Rome all have holy doors. And during the extraordinary Jubilee year of 2015, the Holy Father also granted cathedral churches around the world permission to establish and open a holy door. Um, so this might be, now I'm thinking three years, I'll have to talk to Cheryl. Might not be a bad idea to start planning now. A pilgrimage to Rome for the Jubilee year of 2025. What do you think of that? Um, hopefully all this pandemic stuff will be gone by then. <laughs> oh, please, God. Um, so passing through the holy door means to rediscover the infinite mercy of the Father who welcomes everyone and goes out personally to encounter each of them. It is he who seeks us. It is he who comes to encounter us. And the Holy Father, Pope Francis, said that as he opened the Jubilee door of 2015, extraordinary Jubilee door in 2015 on December 8th. In passing through the Holy Door, then may we feel that we ourselves are part of the mystery of love, of tenderness. Let us set aside all fear and dread, for these do not befit men and women who are loved. Instead, let us experience the joy of encountering that grace which transforms all things. And I like that because, you know, let us set aside all fear and dread. Now, he said this in 2015 at the beginning of the extraordinary Jubilee year. But he said, Holy Father said, Pope Francis, these do not befit men and women who are loved. We mustn't fear. We mustn't dread. And the Jubilee theme of 2015 can be summed up in these words. Pilgrims of hope. Pilgrims of hope. 
Now, a lot of us probably think, are we going to make it <laughs> to 2025, uh, the Jubilee year of 2025 that's coming up in three years? But the motto, the theme, Pilgrims of Hope. You know, in a world like today that is so uh, enveloped in fear, in dread, in uncertainty, in confusion, in anxiety, anger, division, you and I, as members of the mystical body of Christ, I was praying a midday prayer today, and the reading was from Paul on, although many parts, we are all one body, members of the same body. You and I, as members of this mystical body of Christ, are called to be every day, not just the jubilee year that's coming up in 20, uh, 2025, but every day are called to be pilgrims of hope. I hope and pray, my brothers and sisters, that those of you who are so kind to tune in and listen to this program, listen to this old guy who's been here for a long time now, I pray that you feel through me, and it's not of me, it's really of God through me, of course, I'm just the instrument, you feel that spirit of, of joy and hope. You know, we're just here for a little bit in this world. This is temporary. We weren't created to be here. We were created to be with Almighty God for all eternity. But while we're here in this broken world, in this fallen state, our Heavenly Father who sent us His only begotten Son to save us from sin and death, allowing us the grace of being members of this mystical body of Christ, the church militant here on earth, fighting the good fight, praying one day we walk through those glorious gates to the Father's house, and we see all that we have to deal with and put up with in this world, in this life, and it's not easy sometimes. I got to tell you, you know, I don't have to tell you, you know this. The things that come our way, you know, we're going through personally, I, Cheryl and I, you know, a family situation that is very difficult. I don't think I've ever, ever had a situation like this. And I'm a pretty tough guy. People who know me know I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tough. The Lord has given me a, a grace to be able to take the hits. I've taken a lot of hits in my life, trust me. But this situation that we are involved, that we're you know, in right now, Cheryl and I, together as husband and wife, as heads of our family, is a tough one. It's just a tough one. The pandemic has just, you know, wreaked havoc. But as I was saying, we were, we were praying with Bruce yesterday on the phone, Cheryl and I, and Bruce and his lovely wife, Linda, had a little call yesterday, nice call, nice chat. And I said, you know, Bruce, I said, uh, if the Lord has allowed this to come my way, our way, for as horrible as it seems, the Lord has allowed it, he's permitted it by his permissive will, there's a reason for it, right? 
And so if we live that way in this life, because the world is broken and we're of a fallen nature, sin is present. And our concupiscence, our tendency to sin, leans us in that direction. And there are a lot of people out there who have walked away from the Lord, walked away from the faith. I, you know, again, I, as I go through all and have gone through all the the wonderful prayer intentions that you, dear people, sent me uh, throughout December. So many prayers. Please pray for my adult children who have left the church. Well, there's nothing more heartbreaking to a faithful Catholic, <laughs> you know. You raise your children, you do the, everything you can, the, the great sacrifices to educate them in the faith and to set example and to raise them and bring them up in a, in a vibrant sacramental life in their, in their youth. And they go out in this other world and get gobbled up by the world and decide to take another path. And I know nothing hurts you <laughs> more deeply than that, right? It's a broken world. So, but prayer and love and the Jubilee year be a pilgrim of hope. Let's make that our, uh, our personal theme, right? Prayer and love as a pilgrim of hope. And bring that goodness and that kindness and that charity and that love and that joy into the world that so desperately needs it by our witness. People will be converted. People who are in misery, worldly misery, uh, people who have uh, walked away from Almighty God, from Jesus, from the church, from their faith, in their secular humanist misery, which is what it is, they see us dealing with the same situations but with joy. And they say, well, what are you so happy about? I have Jesus. I don't need all this. This is this is just temporary stuff. This is all going to turn to dust. I have Jesus Christ in my life. They may look at you a little strange at first, but say, "He's the source of my hope. He's the source of my joy." You wonder. You ask me, "What? What? What am I so happy about?" That's what I'm so happy about, and you can be too. So that's that's our walk, isn't it, friends? Prayer and love as pilgrims of hope. Now, uh, Holy Father on Sunday in his Angelus message reflected on the gospel of John's account of the wedding feast at Cana where our Lord transformed water into wine. Holy Father said, we notice that the evangelist John does not speak of a miracle, that is, of a powerful and extraordinary deed that provokes wonder. He writes that a sign took place at Cana, a sign that sparked the faith of his disciples. A sign, Pope Francis said, is a clue that reveals the love of God, which does not call attention to the power of the gesture, but to the love that caused it. It teaches us something about the love of God, which is always close, tender, and compassionate. And the Holy Father highlighted how Jesus' quality intervened uh, quietly intervened after Our Lady discreetly brought the situation to his attention. Pope Francis said, everything took place behind the scenes. This is how God acts. I love this. With closeness and with discretion. (laughs) 
This is Jesus. He helps us. He serves us in a hidden way. You know, I'm thinking as I'm reading this uh, from the Catholic News Agency, in our prayer, whatever that is, and I think of all those wonderful prayer intentions that you so beautifully sent to us uh, in December to pray, and we did pray for you and your intentions in our daily prayers, and they're they're still uh, in our chapel uh, near the tabernacle. And we wonder, God, why, why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you doing something for me? This is a horrible situation I find myself in. I need your help, and I don't hear or feel or see anything. And Holy Father reminds us that God acts behind the scenes. Just like the wedding feast of Cana, as that was going on, what was happening? It was the, the, the servants going to Mary. Tell your son we have no more wine. And Mary pulls Jesus aside. They have no more wine. And it's very, very much going on behind the scenes. And the, the people who are looking for wine, they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea that in just a moment, <laughs> a great sign will take place. But up to that moment of the sign, they were probably fretting. What, what, we have no wine. What are we doing? And then all of a sudden, having worked behind the scenes, all of a sudden, God, with closeness and discretion, helps and serves us in a hidden way. All of a sudden, the, 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 the prayer has been answered. The request has been answered, right? And with this gospel passage in mind, the Holy Father recommended that people take time to think about the signs that God has manifested in their lives. So this is from Pope Francis. Think about this. He's speaking to the people there who attended the Angelus message, but he's speaking to you right now. Let each of us say, in my life, what are the signs the Lord has accomplished? What are the hints of his presence, the signs he has done to show that he loves us? Let us think that in difficult, uh, that in difficult moment uh, in which God allowed me to experience his love, and let us ask ourselves, what are the discreet and loving signs through which he has allowed me to feel his tenderness? So again, the Holy Father reminding us that God works behind the scenes. I love that imagery. And he says, let us think about that difficult moment in which God allowed me to experience his love and ask ourselves, what are the discreet and loving signs through which he has allowed me to feel his tenderness? Think about that. I'll be right back. Going to Familiaris Consortio in just a bit. Don't go away. Sixty seconds with Mother Angelica. God created each one of us, but He had in mind, regardless of how we look from childhood to old age, we change physically, but we don't change in His mind. See why? Because God has a specific degree of union with him, holiness, we call it, for every one of you. And it's all different. They were all different. And we are called to be different because it glorifies God. He just doesn't make robots. Now, why you say, well, why are some holier than others? Well, that's your fault. <laughs> that's not his fault. If we accept the good, the bad, and indifferent of every day, every day. We'll all be holy in a different way. The people you know and trust 
are on EWTN. 60 Seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Man who's free to love is free to hate. He who is free to obey is free to rebel. Virtue in this concrete order is possible only in those spheres in which it is possible to be vicious. A man can be a saint only in a church in which it is possible to be a devil. You say, well, if I were God, I would destroy evil. Well, if you did that, you would destroy human freedom. God will not destroy freedom. If we do not want any dictators on this earth, certainly we do not want any dictators in the kingdom of heaven. And those, therefore, who would blame God for allowing man freedom to go on hindering and thwarting his work are like those who, seeing blots and smudges and errors in the student's notebook, would condemn the teacher for not snatching away the book and doing the copy himself. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Teresa Tamio. Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the Church that saved our marriage and, more importantly, our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio heard right here on Domestic Church Media weeknights at 5. Pope Francis reminds us that it does not take a specialized degree in theology to become a great evangelist. We're all called to evangelize. Think about the woman at the well. After she encountered Jesus, she immediately went into the city and invited others to meet him as she had. You and I can go out now and do the same. And St. Paul Street Evangelization can help. Get involved today by contacting us at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. My family left the church because of a, a, a very negative experience with a specific priest. And that took my whole family away from going to church for a long period of time. And there were other Catholic churches and there were great Catholic churches and great priests, but we stopped because of that one specific instance. And in a way, I was, I was cheated out a big part of my journey and my life uh, because we weren't in the church. In life, it seems like we're always enslaved to something. And I think that's, that's basically where our, what our culture is all about right now is we are, we are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. My involvement in the church, my relationship with God is who I am. It, it's what gives me my identity. Thank God I'm home. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Bishop Robert Barron. Tolkien has reached out to, you know, Nordic culture and literature and Icelandic sagas and all sorts of things. He learned a lot about the good, the true, and the beautiful from his study of pre-Christian cultures. He used narrative forms that were accessible to the culture. He adapted that to evangelical purposes. So that shows you that flexibility. It shows you a certain um, creativity in the evangelical uh, art. He did not proselytize. Rather, he very delicately and indirectly and cleverly evangelized through the imagination so that someone taking in these great stories of Tolkien or his friend C.S. Lewis, they're gonna say, oh yeah, I get that. I recognize that pattern. So that finally when they hear the gospel, They'll say, yeah, I understand that. I learned that from the Lord of the Rings. I learned that pattern from the Narnia stories. And that was the genius of those fellas. 
The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Welcome back on this lovely January 18th, 2022. I pray you're having a blessed day, my friends, and thanking you for being a part of my day uh, here on the Domestic Church Media. Um, we're going to go to a wonderful apostolic exhortation that Holy Father St. Pope John Paul II gave us back in uh, 1981. Familiaris Consortio, On the Family. And it was a result of a, a synod on the family that had occurred uh, prior to this. And a beautiful document. One of the first documents by John Paul that I ever read. And really, I, I, when I think back, I think about uh, domestic church media and why we chose uh, that uh, name for this apostolate. Uh, it's a direct result of my reading Familiaris Consortio, because it was in, in this document where the church reaffirms the church's teaching on the domestic church. Every family must be a domestic church. And these days, I, I do uh, believe uh, where the family is under such a horrible attack. Um, you know, the devil wants to destroy families. That's bottom line. He wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy marriages uh, because the family is, as the church teaches, the basic cell of society. So let me give you a little excerpt. Maybe we'll do, I think we should do more of this uh, this year uh, from this apostolic exhortation. Because it's a wonderful teaching, and although 40 years old, very, very contemporary, obviously written by a saint, St. Pope John Paul II. He talks about the family being a communion of persons. This is what John Paul wrote. In matrimony and in the family, a complex of interpersonal relationships is set up married life. Uh, fatherhood and motherhood, filiation and fraternity through each human person is introduced into the human family, into the family of God, which is the church. Christian marriage and the family build up the church. For in the family, the human person is not only brought into being and progressively introduced by means of education into the human community, but by means of the rebirth of baptism and education in the faith, the child is also introduced into God's family, which is the church. And that's the perfect model of what we want to be as, as Christian family, right? Uh, most of us, you, most of you, myself included, are cradle Catholics, I'm assuming. I know we have some converts and some reverts, but most of us are cradle Catholics. And it was just part of our culture. You know, our faith was just part of our culture. Again, I can use myself as an example because I'm a product of a, uh, you know, I'm a baby boomer and I have, I have three sisters and a brother um, born in the late forties and 1950s. My parents being of the greatest generation, my father, a uh, world war II veteran, you know, and I mean the typical, uh, when you, when you think of family from the 1950s, that's what you think of, you know, so lived in suburbia, you know. Uh, but the church and our faith was just a part of who we who we were as family. You know, we belonged to a parish, and and 
my father was in the Holy Name Society, and my mom was involved mostly raising the children. But I, I may have been. But I know my father was in the Holy Holy Name Society at church, of course, the PTA, and we went all went to Catholic uh, grammar school and Catholic high school. It was just assumed that on Sundays you go to mass. There was no question. <laughs> just that's this is part of part of our routine, part of who we are. Uh, and having been raised, you know, in the in 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 Catholic schools, uh, having gone to Catholic schools and educated, this is what the Holy Father is talking about. This 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 complex uh, of interpersonal relationships, fatherhood, motherhood, filiation, fraternity through each human person introduced into the, into the human family. Christian marriage and the Christian family build up the church. For in the family, the human person is not only brought into being and progressively introduced by means of education and into the human community, but by means of the rebirth of baptism and education in the faith, the child is also introduced into God's family, which is the church. You know, when, a, when we were growing up among our family, an extended family, if a, when, when a baby was born— the assuming question was, when's the baptism? There was not, are you going to have the baby baptized? It's, when is the baptism? Just part of the natural course of, of, of progression into the church, is what Holy Father uh, St. Pope John Paul II was saying here. And that is the perfect model. This, you know, if we could have that and maintain that, and, and I mean, I can go back and think about uh, raising our own kids uh, and some of the most precious times with our children when they were growing up was our nighttime bedtime ritual where we'd all gather, you know, on, on one of the beds there, little beds, and say our prayers together as family. And I remember often they would have, especially if they got older, you know, five, six years old, we'd pray and their little minds would think questions and ask questions about God and about Jesus and about Mary. Because we tried to make them as much a part of our family as the five of us were. You know, I grew up, most of you grew up, there were images in the home, right? Statues, pictures. In our home as well, growing up, we have had and have pictures of the Holy Family and uh, Blessed Mother statue and St. Joseph and crucifix. and It's all there. It's all part of our domestic church. And I think, sadly, my brothers and sisters, sadly, the breakdown these days that we're seeing is starting right there in the core, the basic cell of society in the family. Where we're seeing, as I shared with you last week, those uh, um, survey statistics on the decline in uh, having any any uh, religious or church affiliation, and sadly, it happens among the millennials and the generation after them, whatever they call them, Gen Xers. I don't know what they call, but but the breakdown it's it's happening right there, and so many of these millennials who were raised in the faith. Walking away from it, and they're not passing the faith on to their children. And so there is a breakdown. The human family, uh, St. John Paul writes, disunited by sin is reconstituted in its unity by the redemptive power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Christian marriage, by participating in the salvific efficacy of this event, constitutes the natural setting in which the human person is introduced into the great family of the church. And again, you know, we as parents are the first heralds of the faith to our children. And if that doesn't happen, there's the break, sadly. And this disunity then begins to occur. Holy Father, St. Pope John Paul II writes, The commandment to grow and multiply given to man and woman in the beginning is this way, in this way, reaches its whole truth and full realization. You know, and again, sadly, the world is not listening to the church in many areas of life, especially when it comes to marriage being the union between one man and one woman. You can't redefine that. I was reading yesterday that in Canada there are uh, uh, is talk of law in Canada that if churches teach what we know to be true, biblical truth about marriage between one man and one woman, if churches teach that, that they will be in violation of the law. Can you believe this? Now, I'm telling you, we as an apostolate here, a Catholic lay apostolate, have every obligation to teach that truth. It's not happening here. But I will tell you that if it does, if it ever does, you're going to, one day, This is, I'm, I'm, that's why the cameras are on. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll be teaching and have the, uh, the authorities come through this door and take me away in shackles and chains. Praise God, my badge of honor. Let them try. They can take me. I'm not gonna, you're not going to silence me. You can't silence truth. The commandment to grow and multiply, the commandment given by God, to Adam and Eve and every married couple since, grow and multiply, given to man and woman. Doesn't happen between man and man. Doesn't happen between woman and woman. Sorry. If it does, it's by adoption. It's not by complementarity sexuality, certainly. We're built the way we're built as men and women for a reason and a purpose. Doesn't happen any other, way, any other way. You could try to do it and manipulate it, but let's speak truth. The Church, Holy Father John Paul II writes, thus finds in the family born from the sacrament the cradle and the setting in which she can enter the human generations, and where there is in their where these in their turn can enter the Church. So you see. When we are fruitful and multiply, and we grow our families, and we raise our families in the faith, they go on to the next generation and have their families and raise their families in the faith. And so this is a way, through all these human generations, of entering into the church. But we're seeing the breakdown today. 
Pope Emeritus back in 2005, I think it was his first visit to the U.S., where he said that he believed there would be a remnant church, a smaller church, because of what's happening right now. That doesn't mean we give up. That doesn't mean we, we stop trying. That doesn't mean we don't evangelize and let, you know, let happen what happens. You, you, we still are called to be missionary. We still are called to be evangelists. We still are called as parents to be the first heralds of the faith to our children, to raise them in the faith. But, you know, look at Europe and these countries that once were flourishing Catholic countries, Italy, France, uh, I think Poland is still on the a little bit on the right track, but Ireland, you know these these countries that were were just known to be Catholic countries. They may think they are, but even that has waned. Even though they were saying yes, we're Catholic, but they don't go to mass. Now a lot of them just don't even go to mass anymore. Just they don't even consider themselves Catholic. It's happening here. And so we, as married couples and family, our main responsibility is to create this beautiful, holy, domestic church, our home. As I said, and most of you, I'm sure, listening, watching right now, you know, when you grew up, it was just part of who you were. There was never a discussion about, are we going to Mass today? I remember one time, I'll tell you. Now, for me personally, I never remember myself ever deciding I'm not doing this anymore. I remember once I tried it. I was maybe was in college or uh, just out of college on a Sunday. Told my mom, I, my mom and dad was going to mass, but I went to the park instead. Ooh, being a little rebellious. I think that was one time. <laughs> I didn't dare do it again because I there was that wonderful Catholic guilt that I had. And don't, you can't do that. You're committing sin. Went to confession and went back to church. But I did have a sibling. I won't say which one. I did have a sibling who came back from college and decided that they weren't going to go to mass anymore. Well, in my father's house, (laughs) if you're here, you're living here, I don't care if it's just for the summer, you're going to Mass. And there was a little bit of a battle there, but my father wouldn't stand for it. You know, and sadly today, I don't think we, we, we I don't think we have the don't have the wherewithal anymore. Sometimes not everybody, but some people just don't they don't fight it. They give in. You're in my house under my roof. You're living by my rules. And it's Sunday. We're going to Mass. No ifs, ends, or buts. I don't care what you think at this point. If you're going to live here under my roof, you're going to Mass. Now, some people say, well, that's not the right thing. You know what? I think we need more of that, quite frankly. I think we need more of the, a harder approach and stop kowtowing. We have to be who we are and stand up for what we believe. Um, Holy Father went on to say here, Uh, Virginity or celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of God not only does not contradict the dignity of marriage, but presupposes 
it and confirms it. Marriage and virginity or celibacy are two ways of expressing the living and one mystery of the covenant of God and his people. When marriage is not esteemed, neither can consecrated virginity or celibacy exist. When human sexuality is not regarded as a great value given by the Creator, and the renunciation of it for the sake of the kingdom of heaven loses its meaning. Uh, rightly, oh, wait a minute, I missed my little. Where'd it go? Uh, let's see what happens on my. Oh, there it is. Rightly, indeed, does Saint John Chrysostom say. Whoever denigrates marriage also diminishes the glory of virginity. Whoever praises it makes virginity more admirable and resplendent. What appears good only in comparison with evil would not be particularly good. It is something better than what is admitted to be good that is the most excellent good. In virginity or celibacy, Holy Father John Paul writes, the human being is awaiting also in a bodily way the eschatological marriage of Christ in the church giving himself or herself completely to the church in the hope that Christ may give himself to the church in the full truth of eternal life. The celibate person thus anticipates in his or her flesh the new world of the future resurrection. By virtue of this witness, virginity or celibacy keeps alive in the church a consciousness of the mystery of marriage and defends it from any reduction and impoverishment. Virginity or celibacy by liberating the human heart is a unique way so as to make it burn with greater love for God and all humanity bears witness that the kingdom of God and his justice is that pearl of great price which is preferred to every other value no matter how great and hence thus must be sought as the only definitive value. It is for this reason that the church throughout her history has always defended the superiority of the charism to that of marriage by reason of the holy singular link which it has with the kingdom of God. In spite of having renounced physical fecundity, the celibate person becomes spiritually fruitful, the father and mother of many, cooperating in the realization of the family according to God's plan. Of course, to our good priests, our men and women religious, they, they have this wonderful charism and then become spiritually fruitful. And then, Holy Father says, the Christian couples, therefore, have the right to expect from celibate persons a good example and a witness of fidelity to their vocation until death, just as fidelity at times becomes difficult for married people and requires sacrifice, mortification, and self-denial. The same can happen to celibate persons, and their fidelity, even in the trials that may occur, should strengthen the fidelity of married couples. These reflections on virginity and celibacy can enlighten and help those who, for reasons independent of their own will, have just been unable to marry and have been accepted and have ex then accepted their situation in a spirit of service. And it is a charism; it's a gift. You know, people wonder uh, how can men and women do that, live that life of of uh, virginity, celibacy, um, when the human uh, person is is created with that uh, innate desire to uh, procreate. Um, it goes way beyond human understanding, human uh, rationalization sometimes. It's a spiritual gift, obviously. I, as a, a married man, uh, 
don't have it, obviously. I did try. I thought I, I thought it a couple times when I was uh, uh, in my uh, late twenties, considering maybe the Lord is calling me to be a priest. I hadn't. I didn't have any uh, prospect of, of of marriage or uh, even getting engaged or even having a girlfriend. Long time. <laughs> so I thought, okay, maybe the Lord wants me to be a priest. And I set up, I set up uh, meetings with the vocation director, and on three successive occasions of rescheduling and having every time the, the meeting was canceled for one reason, snowstorm, whatever the reasons were, but it, they were canceled. And after the third cancellation, it was shortly after that that I met Cheryl. So the Lord knew what he was doing. His time, not my time. But we have to understand that there is that wonderful complementarity, again, between the uh, virginity and celibate life and the married life. And there is a, an obligation of fidelity in all of those situations to the vocation. So that's from John Paul's uh, wonderful exhortation, Familiaris Consortio. I want to do more of this with you and share more of this with you because it was a very impactful uh, exhortation that I read, one of the first ones by John Paul um, in, in my journey, uh, and it really did have an impact on me. As I said, in reading that uh, this particular exhortation, Familiaris Consortio, it was the impetus behind naming our apostolate domestic church media because uh, the term and the uh, uh, my understanding of the definition of the domestic church uh, meant so much to me. So uh, we'll go now because i got to go. Time's up. Stay tuned now for Teresa Tamio and the Catholic Connection, uh, followed by Catholic Answers. I'll be with you again tomorrow, God willing, my brothers and sisters. Have a great rest of your day, uh, and let's uh, pray for each other. My name is Jim Manfredonia. Thanks for listening. God bless you, and God love you.